What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. In 2014, a seed was planted in my mind that we could have a big fundraiser, and I'm talking about a big one. I'm talking about taking a bicycle and riding it from coast to coast. The seed was planted in 2014 because some of the members in our church said, hey, yeah, if, we, if, you, if, you, if you plan the trip, we'll go, thinking that by all means he'll never plan that trip. And so in 2015, the, the day came where we presented this idea in a business meeting where we would ride from California all the way to Florida on a bicycle 100 miles a day to not only raise money for the church for a building fund, but to raise gospel awareness. And to my surprise, um, and to everybody's surprise, we voted unanimously to do that. And so in 2015, I, I took a semester off of seminary, and those 20, 25 hours a week that I would drive back and forth to Lynchburg, Virginia in seminary, I began to, to ride and train on a bicycle. And many of you know this story, but bear with me as I reshare it again. And as we were training, and as we get out there, I began to set little goals that, okay, I just got to finish day one. I've got to finish day two. But then I set this one goal that if I get to Emory Pass... I know that I'll make it all the way. And if you don't know what Emory Pass was, that was the highest peak in, the, in New Mexico that we would climb up to. It was 8,200 feet up in the air. And the only thing that kind of comes close to that in the Roanoke area is, is like maybe up on the Blue Ridge Parkway and Mountain, maybe around 3,500, 4,000 feet up in the air. So if you can imagine double the size, we had to climb up. Now we didn't go from sea level all the way up to that in one day. But as I recall... We were cycling through these canyons, and the road was very narrow, just a two-lane road, and, and we were weaving in and out and, and going up and going down, but, but progressively going up. And I remember uh, uh, crossing through this one turn, and, and it opened up, and there was this large forest with trees, almost like I was in the scene of a Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit movie, seeing it for myself. And and finally, we get to the very top, and I saw the, the elevation, about 8,200 feet, and I, I just, I don't know, I just got off my bike, and I yelled out a huge yell, thanking the Lord. And as we began our descent down that mountain, the, the skies opened up, the forest opened up, and I saw this massive view that I can't describe with words saw the beautiful blue sky, saw these massive forests of pine trees, and then the road just zigging and zagging down. And in my moment, in that moment, in my mind, I realized that I wasn't there yet, but I know, I knew that we were going to get to St. Augustine, Florida. And if you hang on a little while, I'll tell you the rest of the story at the end of the message. But I share that with you to let you know that, that in my situation there, riding a bike across America, in that moment, I knew that I was going to be able to finish by God's grace and him equipping me and the rest of the people with strength. But you see, in Abraham's moment of strength, he could see in the future, but he could not grasp with his hands all of those promises God made him. 
And today, as we come to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we've looked at many of these characters of faith so far, and we've looked at Abraham before, but I want to draw your attention to not just verses 13 through 16 today, but keep in mind verses 8 all the way down to verse 19. The focus of the writer of Hebrews is now on the great patriarch of the faith, Abraham. And in verses 8, 9, and 10, it looked at him a little bit more in depth, and then he took a break, and in his scope, he began to see Sarah in verse 11 and 12. But now in verse 13, his focus is back on Abraham, but also Sarah, and also Isaac, and also Jacob, and perhaps even Joseph. And so the title of my sermon today is simply this, The Faith of Abraham, Part 2. And really the key thought, the, the key point, the key takeaway message I have for you today is simply this, never be ashamed to call God your God today as we think about Abraham back in verses 8, 9, and 10, we talked about radical faith, how he did have radical faith. He left his homeland to go to another that he did not know at the age of 75, and God said, you're going to have a son, you're going to have a land, and you're going to have a mighty nation. But now as we look at verses 13 through 16, I want to talk about unashamed faith. And in fact, I want to draw your attention here. We'll get to it later on and more in depth. But in verse 16 is, is really what I believe is the key central message the writer of Hebrews has in this portion of Abraham's life. He says at the last part, he says, wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Could you read that out loud with me? Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. I know I have a, a sentence with an exclamation point there, but really the thought today should be this. Is God ashamed to be called your God. Think about this now. Out of everything the writer of Hebrews is building up in verse 8, in verse 9, in verse 10, verse 11, verse 12, 13, 14, 15, all the way to 16 to lead up to this thought to say, wherefore, I told you all that to say this, that God is not ashamed to be called the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But I wonder, I wonder, would God be ashamed to be called the God of Clearbrook Baptist Church? I wonder today, would God be ashamed to be called Brian's God or your God or our God? Obviously, we live in a culture that would be ashamed for God to be called their God. And today, as we are abiding in a wonderful nation like America, we know that America is getting more hostile towards the word of God and towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I wanna urge you today, today if I could, can I just be, um, can I just egg us on today to never be ashamed to call Jesus your God? Never be ashamed to, to believe the Bible is the word of God. Never be ashamed for your faith in Jesus Christ. Now that being said, here's the question I wanna zoom in and focus on. Yes, never be ashamed to call God your God. And is God ashamed to be called your God? Yeah, we need to talk about those things. But, but really, here's the thought that I, that I begin to wrestle with in my own mind as I begin meditating in this passage. How do we know if God is not ashamed to be called my God or your God or our God? How do we know this? I mean, the scriptures tell us here clearly that God was not ashamed to be called the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But how do we know that? Well, as I've been meditating in the passage today and recently, I have three thoughts I want to share with you. 
It, it, it embarks on this idea of the promise God gave to Abraham. It embarks on this idea of the process that God gave to Abraham. And it embarks on this idea of the possession that God promised to give to Abraham. So if you would today, would you walk with me through these passages and through these verses as we consider how we know God is not ashamed to be called our God. First of all today is found in verse 13. God is not ashamed to be called your God if you trust his promise. Did you hear me? Listen carefully. God is not ashamed to be called your God if you trust his promise. Obviously, we, you know the story of Abraham. God called Abraham at the age of 75 years young, and he moved from his place in Ur the Chaldees or Haran to move and to, to become a nomad, to become like a pilgrim and a stranger in a foreign land. And there he brought his family. And there God promised him not just a territory and, and a place to have a son and to have a nation, but he promised all three of those things. And eventually, God would give him a son, and that was the only part of the promises that, that he began to live and see out in his life. Didn't see this mighty nation, never saw the land. And in fact, we're told that some 500 years later, after Abraham dies, is when they began to see all these promises. But in, in verse number 13, it says these. Now, now, the temptation as you're reading this chapter is to consider that the term these is referring to everything previously. But I want to share with you that I do not believe it's referring to Abel. I don't believe it's referring to the faith of creation or the faith of Abel or the faith of Enoch or the faith of Noah. Now, there are some that would. But the reason why I do not believe that is because God gave Abraham specific promises about a son, about a nation, and about a land. He did not give Abel, he did not give Enoch, and he did not give Noah those promises. So these, in my mind as I'm reading this passage, I believe firmly that is referring to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, and possibly even Joseph. These all died. This part of the verse reminds us that one day we will all walk through the doorway called death. That as the psalmist says, Teach us to number our days so that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. That I'm not promised tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. Nobody's promised tomorrow. And here, all of these individuals, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and Sarah, and, and really all the others, they did die in faith that God would send his only begotten son. And here, this word faith is really the key word in chapter 11. In fact, would you say faith with me? Faith, shout it out, faith. This word, as we talked about before, but just bear in memory that it reminds us about how we have faith in, in God and his word and it gives us that we put our total reliance and dependence upon him and him alone and that that total reliance and dependence gives us the, the firm conviction of a creed that we are gonna die upon. Now in your life, we know that a contractor is going to come to a scene and he's going to, he's going to scope it all out. And then they're going to begin to, to clear the land. And then eventually they're going to put these pillars down. And these are individuals, or these are not individuals, these are certain individualistic parts of this structure that have to be there in order for the structure to remain standing. And now as the, the building is being built or your home is being built, you might go through your house and you might knock on a wall and you realize, oh, that's not a low-bearing wall. We can get rid of this wall. 
Now, there are things about our understanding of Scripture that we can, in a sense, if you will, I would say respectfully, kind of knock it out. And we can debate about it. We could have a leaning here or a leaning there. But there are certain pillars of our faith that we cannot debate about. And I believe that this word faith, it, it, encom- it, it encompasses all of the fundamental tenets of the Christian faith and not just our faith in Jesus. And so he goes on to say, not having received. Now here's this word here. Uh, I, I want to ask you a question. Obviously, we know that you're not Abraham. I'm not Abraham. You're not Sarah. I'm not Sarah. But may I ask us all a question? Have you received God's promise? Have you? Here the Bible says, the word received here, it gives us connotation that he has accepted with his own arms and he's laid hold upon these promises. Now I love this word promise here in the Bible. We know that God is a promise-keeping God. In the Greek Bible, this word means an announcement that is providing information or a pledge about something, but especially pertaining to divine assured message. And so here we have a, a, a time when the writer of Hebrews is looking back at the key figure, Abraham, when God promised him all these things. We know that God has promised us eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ. And what God has promised, he will deliver, my friends. But my question for you today is this. Have you received the great promise of the only begotten son of Jesus of God, Jesus Christ? Have you received the good gift of, of Jesus and his faith in him? It says these all died in faith, not having received the promises. But then check it out now. The Bible goes on to say, but having seen them afar off. Several years ago, a few of us decided we wanted to go hiking on the Appalachian Trail. We decided we want to hike from, from right there in Catawba all the way to Daleville. It was an overnight hike, and I don't know how I was talked into this, but there I was, uh, sleeping in, in the shed with mice and animals crawling around me. I probably told you this story a million times, but there was a, uh, there was a, a uh, string hanging down with a can on the string, and it had a hook there. And I said, what in the world are these strings hanging down from the ceiling with the can there and a hook? Oh, they said, that's for your bag to hang on so that the mice can't crawl into your bag. I said, mice, huh? Mice. But then to top it all off, we had to sleep in this shed with people we never even met. But as I got to the top of McAfee's Knob and a couple other areas here in Roanoke, I saw this amazing view that made the sleepless night with all the critters running around frightening me to death worth it. I saw it. Physically, I did. There was a time in Genesis chapter 13 when God brought Abraham and he said, look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, look to the west. All that is yours. He didn't see it personally, but he saw it in faith in the future. And listen, as I think about this, he goes on to say, and we're persuaded. This word persuaded is the exact same word that's used in Romans chapter 8 to say that I am persuaded that nothing can separate us from God's love. It means to be totally convinced of and assured of. And here, there's a time in Abraham's life when even though he couldn't see it, he believed God's promise. So my question for you is this also, not only have you received God's promise, but have you believed God's promise? persuaded. It means to be totally convinced of with argumentation that you cannot be persuaded otherwise. I haven't seen heaven, 
I haven't seen Jesus like I'm looking at you right now. But what God has allowed me to do is to open up his word. And almost as a blind man can see clearly, I can look into scripture and I see eternity very clearly because of what God's word has said. I can look back in the past and I can see the cross and Jesus there hanging on the cross for our sins very clearly all because of the word of God. Today, if you never believed that, I urge you to believe in him like Abraham did. But then check it out now. The Bible goes on to say that he was, he not just received this promise and he saw them afar off and he was persuaded of them, but then it says he embraced them. This word embraced reminds me of obedience. So here it is. Have you received God's promise? Have you believed God's promise? But then check this out now. Have you obeyed God's promise? You know, in our culture, we have this idea of a handshake. It's a greeting. You know, the Bible does say greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, I don't live in Paul's day and neither do you. So don't try to kiss me on my cheek after church. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can give me that side hug. You know what I'm talking about? There's a time sometimes in our life when a handshake just doesn't do justice and we need to wrap arms around one another and, and embrace each other with a hug. This word embrace gives the same idea that you grab a hold upon something and you embrace them. And here the Bible says that he believed them and received them and then he embraced them. This idea of obedience. That is, after you've received it and believed it, you're gonna wrap your arms around it and you're gonna do what it says. And so Abraham did that. He obeyed the promise that God gave to him, even though he didn't see it in his own lifetime, at least all of them. So as we think about Abraham, consider this thought. Never be ashamed to call God your God. At one time, Abraham believed all these other pagan gods, was sacrificing all, perhaps, all these other ancient Near Eastern gods. But then there came a time when God came to him and spoke to him and revealed himself to him. There was a time in your life when God revealed himself to you. There was a time when the light bulb went off and the gospel was made very clear and there you became a child of God. And today, my friends, you never have to be ashamed no matter what culture, no matter what context, no matter what century, no matter what age you're living in, you never have to be ashamed to call Jesus your God. God is not ashamed to be called your God if you trust his promise. But secondly, I wanna draw your attention now to the last part of verse 13 down to verse 15. Not only how we can know we're, that God is not ashamed to be called our God by trusting in his promise, but, but secondly, God is not ashamed to be called your God if you trust his process. God is not ashamed to be called your God if you trust his process. Now it's March Madness season, so everybody's talking about basketball. So I figured I would not talk about college sports, I'll talk to you about my favorite basketball player. His name is the late Kobe Bryant. And I believe Kobe Bryant is in the top three greatest basketball players of all time, at least in my lifetime. An amazing athlete. He's tall, skilled, gifted. But the thing that was very different between him and the great duo back in the day with him and Shaq was Kobe had a work ethic like nobody else you can think of concerning basketball. Sure, Michael Jordan might, might compare, but, but Kobe would, as soon as they would win a championship, the next day, I understand, he would be in the gym, getting up way early in the morning, having two workouts a day, making hundreds, if not thousands of shots every 
single week in the gym. And there was tension between him and Shaq during the Los Angeles Lakers dynasty in the early 2000s. And the, the, the issue was, is Shaq was so dominant on the court, he didn't have to be as in tip-top shape as Kobe needed to be, if you will. And so Shaq, at times, got a little lazy in the gym, got a little lazy in the workouts, and Kobe was frustrated with him. And so tension began to brew. But I say all of that to say this, that if you want to win championships in basketball, there's a process you got to follow. You got to work out, you got to do the drills, you got to be at practice. And if you want to, to really get a hold of being unashamed in your faith with God, you got to trust His process and not your own. And today, we know we come to this passage here. It says in verse 13 after all these things that He confessed, or they confessed, that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I want to draw your attention to the first word here strangers. Would you say that with me? Strangers. We know what a stranger is in our English idea, a person we do not know personally, an individual we do not know of. We might see them, but they are a stranger to us. And here, consider this thought. In God's process, you will be a stranger in this land. In God's process, you will be a stranger in this land. Now, this word stranger, it gives the implication of somebody who's going to be a guest or an entertainer. Sometimes we might have a guest speaker come, and they might preach. They might share some things, and, and you don't know them personally. You don't do life with them each and every week. You don't see them each week here. They're just kind of a, a guest, if you will. And then you might go to the circus, and you see all these entertainers out there on the stage doing all these flips and jumps and all these other things. And you don't know them. And the Bible says that as a Christian, we will be known as being strangers in this land. People will look at us and say, you are strange. You are odd sometimes. And as God called Abraham, they were nomadic, living in tents, setting up their tents, taking their tents down, and then moving from place to place to place to place to place, not having a concrete dwelling place like you have and I have. People looked at them and then said, they are foreigners and strangers. But then the verse goes on to say that they were pilgrims. So not only in God's process, you will be a stranger in the land, you will also be a pilgrim in the land. This word pilgrim, it's very similar to the word stranger, but it's an idea of a resident foreigner. That is, you move from one country and you're implanted into another. And today I was reminded of the lyrics to a hymn that maybe you've heard of. It says, it says this, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Today, my friends, let us not get too attached to the things of this world. Let us not get too attached to the possessions, or can I get a little legal, if you will. Let's not get too attached to the tangible assets that we have acquired throughout our lifetime, because one day we will exit the, into eternity and we will leave all those things behind. We have a greater land prepared for us, and it's called heaven. 
But now check out verses 14 and 15. Here the Bible says uh, that, that in this section, not only will, will God's process require us to be strangers and pilgrims, but then hear me out. In God's process, you will not return to this land. In God's process, you will not return to this land. Notice verse 14. The Bible says, for they, remember, referring back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and perhaps Joseph, and definitely also Sarah. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. The word declare plainly. In our English Bible, it is two words to help us understand one word in the Greek Bible. And it gives this idea of informing and showing something of great significance. And so here they are declaring plainly with great significance that they are not searching for, they are not hunting for, they are not seeking the same thing that most people are seeking. I mean, isn't it true that, that mankind is, is trying to acquire this idea of a utopia on earth? trying to get this island like Hawaii to go live there and just live in blissful peace forever until they exit? My friends, that will only transpire in the next age to come for those who know Jesus. And today, don't get too attached to seeking after the things of this world, whether it's through a career or whether it's through um, assets or whether it's through a house or a car or cash or all these different things now listen i'm not saying those things are wrong to acquire to have but let's not get so attached to them that we will want to bring them into eternity when we realize that hey we're not going to return to this place and we're not taking anything with us when we go then verse 15 it says and truly if they have been mindful this means to keep in remembrance if they've been mindful of that country from whence they came in other words, he's saying, if they have put to memory the place in which they once lived and came from, it says they might have had the opportunity to have returned. In other words, they might have turned back. I don't know about you, but when I was 16 years old, the gospel was made fully clear to me. And in that moment, from my perspective, I decided to follow Jesus from God's perspective, he reached down and he gloriously saved me by his divine grace. And today I truly can say I have decided to follow Jesus and no turning back, no turning back. Today I hope that you can say the same. I'm afraid there's so many people today that have come to the very cliff of understanding the gospel and knowing Jesus and, and, and knowing what it means to be a Christian, and knowing how to be a Christian, but then they turn back away from it, not ever being born again. So today, my friends, who are you today? Are you somebody that's willing to trust the process? That, hey, we are just pilgrims and strangers passing through to a greater land, to a better country, as verse 16 says. Never be ashamed to call God your God. Is God ashamed to be called your God today? How do we even know this? Well, by trusting his process and by trusting his promise. But thirdly and finally, from verse 16, God is not ashamed to be called your God if you trust his possession. God is not ashamed to be called your God if you trust in his 
possession. The Bible says in verse 16, beginning with the word but. Here, kind of a transitional word bringing us into the concept that, hey, now I've told you these different things, now but. It says, but now they. They were once living in this land and they left that land. Now they're strangers and pilgrims, but now, check it out now. They have new desires. They have better desires. Now remember, the book of Hebrews is an amazing book. I lean towards a Pauline authorship, but I might be wrong about that. When we get to heaven, we'll find out for sure. But what I can testify today with great certainty that the theme of this book is that Christ is better than everything the Old Testament had to offer. That we look into the prophets, Christ is the greater prophet than all the other prophets. That we look into the law, Christ is the fulfillment of the law, and he's better, if you will, of the law itself. That, that Christ is better than the angelic host. He is better than Moses. He is better than Joshua. He's better than Aaron. He is the great high priest and he's given us and preparing for us a better land than even Jerusalem itself. Check it out. But now they desire a better country. There's that theme word of this book. Here, Abraham realized that even though God promised him a territory on this earth that his descendants would one day acquire, that God, in a sense, also promised him a greater land than the earthly land that he promised him. And so as we think about this, I want to draw your attention to this word desire. This word desire means to long after. Now, there are times in the Bible where it could have a context of something that's a wrong desire. We can God created us to be creatures with desires. And there's times that our desires, our flesh gets in and gets the best of us. But here, this is a desire that we should all strive for. And that is heaven. So let me ask you this question. Are you desiring God's eternal possession? Are the possessions that you have, do, excuse me, do the possessions you own mean more to you than the possession of eternal life. That's something we all have to check ourselves weekly. Because sometimes the spots of this world can get on us and our flesh can get the best of us and we'll begin to desire the things of this world more than the things of God. But may God help us. May God help you and me to always strive after that which is eternal, not that which is temporal. It says this country was heavenly, the celestial country. Yes, a place even better than not just Jerusalem, but even the United States of America itself. Heaven will be far superior than the Golden Gate Bridge on the West Coast. Heaven will be far superior than the amazing aftermath of the worldwide flood there called the Grand Canyon. Heaven will be far greater and more beautiful than even Yellowstone National Park itself. And as amazing as the hands of man has built the city or place called Manhattan, God's kingdom will be far better than anything man could ever build. Then check out the next part, wherefore. It's almost like he's leading up to just say this. God is not ashamed to be called their God. 
The word ashamed comes from a word that means to be full of shame. But it also gives this idea that you would be totally embarrassed to go out into public over an issue that people found out about in your life. And so, we're reminded of what Jesus said. Whoever is ashamed of the Father on this earth, he will be ashamed in glory. So let me ask you something. Are you ashamed of God's eternal possession? You know, you might view salvation like this wallet right here. You, you have a wallet. For you ladies, you have a wallet that you put inside of a purse. And there you hide that wallet. You put it inside your pocket or inside your purse so that thieves and other people will not necessarily try to easily be able to steal it from you. But I'm here to tell you something. That salvation is not like a wallet we put in our pocket there to keep it and only to spend it when we want to spend something. Salvation is a gift that we are to put on full display every day for the whole world to see. So are you ashamed of the great gift of eternal life? Are you ashamed of Jesus dying on the cross for your sins? Are you ashamed that he rose again? Are you ashamed that one day he will split the eastern sky and reign on this earth? I'm afraid there's far too many people that are ashamed of him and his word, and they call themselves Christians. And the reason why is because they desire the things of this world more than the things of God. But then the Bible goes on to say, it says, for he has prepared for them a city. This word prepared, it literally means to make ready. Are you prepared for God's eternal possession? Abraham was. He was so prepared that he didn't even have to see it to believe it. I was instantly reminded as I read this phrase of what Jesus said. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. One day, my friends, we are gonna see the eternal kingdom that God is right now preparing for you and for me and all of his children that call him Lord and Savior. Never be ashamed to call God your God. So it was June 30th, 2015, and I had a massive blowout on my tire. We were in the state of Florida, riding along as a big group, and we even met up with these two ladies that decided to ride with us. And along the way, we would meet different people, and they would ride with us. And so it was very encouraging. It would really boost our morale. Um, and there we were in the state of Florida, and, and I was riding across this bridge, and then I heard a pow, and my tire just blew. And I was riding on the rim. And so we stopped and we fixed the tire and then I hopped back on the bike. But, but at, by the time we got the, everything fixed, the team members, they were long gone. Couldn't see them anymore. So I thought to myself, well, I'll just pick up the pace and I'll catch up with them. And so I picked up the pace and, and I just couldn't see them and couldn't see them. And I, and I saw this sign, St. Augustine Beach in like 15 miles or so. It was something like that. Maybe not exactly 15, but just to give you an idea, it was less than 20. And so I said to myself, I'm staying on this road. I'm going to go all the way. And I know in my mind they, they did the same thing. But the reality is, is we had these different maps that were designed for cyclists. And they took a turn to follow the map, which actually made them take an additional hour to get there. And so here I am trying to figure out how in the world do I get to the beach? 
I, all these roads, I have no clue what to do. So I pull over and I try to talk to this girl. I guess she thought I was hitting on her and she just kept on going. I don't know. And so then this, this guy starts riding his bike on the opposite direction. So I turn around and I go find him. And I said, hey man, my name is Brian. I've rode all the way from California. I'm just trying to get to the beach. Can you just lead me to the beach? And so there this homeless guy f- leads me all the way to my promised land, St. Augustine Beach. And there, an hour later, the rest of the crew arrives. And there, previously, I was in New Mexico, and I just knew if God gave me the strength, and by his grace, I would make it all the way just because I reached that peak. And then God allowed me to see the shore there at St. Augustine Beach. Now listen, I don't know where you are in this journey called life. You might be on top of a big mountain like Emory Pass, or you might be in the desert areas, or you might be going through the forest. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know if you're in the beginning, if you're in the middle, or you're at the ending of your journey. I don't know where it is, but I'm here to tell you something, that God is going to be with you every step of the way, and you never have to be ashamed to call him your God. Is God ashamed to be called your God? We need unashamed faith in the church today. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.